Blog Talk Radio. Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedheadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. I get chills when I have the great privilege of seeing someone express their authentic selves. I believe it gives us a true glimpse into the souls of others. These revealing words are from today's guest, author, creator, Adventurer, human. And make sure you know it's in that order. Liv Haddon. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, Liv Haddon. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. Liv, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Um, Liv, my curiosity is getting to me. You are an author, creator, adventurer, and human. Why is it necessarily in that order? Um, I think, okay, so a bit of my sarcasm is is, uh, coming out in that for sure. Um, I was trying to think of what's a way to kind of capture me and my spirit and my my humanness, and I think that um, I wanted it to be in that order um, more for my own self to say, okay, who, who am I and what am I doing on the planet? Um, And then I kind of just added that little human part of the end because um, I think that it's easy to get bogged down in the titles of what you do and forget that you're a fellow human on the planet among many other fellow humans. Um, And in that order is really just me being as sassy as possible. (laughs) Well, it's definitely an eye catcher. It definitely caught my eye. Liv, legend has it that while you were in college, you had this epiphanic dream And this dream energized you and got you on your way to a great story and series. My question is, why do you think it was that this powerful dream came at exactly that time and instant in your life? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I was actually, so that's that's all very true. Um, And this dream was kind of after I 
had been writing this um, kind of like therapeutic, I want to say like almost a diary entry, but very informal. Um, I was going right. through a bit of a, a period of de- depression, um, and I wasn't really feeling very great. And the one area of my life that's always been very positive and key for me has been my writing. So I kind of just got to this breaking point where I was like, I need to do something to get all of this out of me. And so writing was the place that I turned. So I had, um, you know, written probably a couple paragraphs before I fell asleep. Um, and, you know, my dreams picked, off, picked up where my um, writing left off. And that's kind of why this dream occurred um, for me at that point in time. It's amazing uh, how so many of us writers – use writing as as therapy uh it's helped me mm-hmm. so much so i can definitely understand what you were going through then um so let's talk about your jumping into the waters of being a published author with your debut novel in the mind of revenge the shame book one the blurb says it is set in a society that glorifies normal and demonizes different wow you could go so many places with that premise. Where did you decide to take it and why, Liv? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, I'm a millennial, so I've kind of grown up in a huge time of more social awareness um, and people really calling for social justice. And um, I think that, you know, we're starting to kind of question what is normal um, and why is that so important. And so I kind of, this is all on the heels of, you know, me growing up in a generation where things like school shootings are more common. Um, right. Suicides because of bullying are more common. Cyberbullying became a thing when I was growing up. Um, and, and all of these things seem to be on this premise of, well, this person's different. So that must be bad. And so we need to shun that person, hurt that person. We just need to make the different go away. And so I kind of was channeling a bit of, of all of that in going through this. And so, you know, my main character is a, it was a bullying um, target. There's someone who right. was bullied repeatedly all going through school. And so I think a lot of that stemmed by the world that I grew up in and all of the things that I've seen and experienced um, growing up in society today. Another blurb for In the Mind of Revenge says it takes a deep look at how monsters are born. Is the term monsters a metaphor for the actual fear that a good many number of us have deep within our subconscious, or is it something else? No, I I would say that you're spot on. Um, I think that you really see, I took a very myopic view. It's literally in the mind of revenge. We're following this character very much inside their own brain, their own struggles. Um, And I like the idea of of the term monster because we humanize and, and make things or people monsters all of the time. Um, and we forget we forget the humanness, which I think is really important. And you can kind of see you're tracking with this human the entire way. And I think one of my favorite pieces of feedback I've been getting from readers and reviewers is that they really didn't want to like the main character because they're doing all of these monstrous things. But I did my best to keep the humanness intact and that connection intact so that you don't forget this is a human at the end of the day. We writers know that words have power, and I'm intrigued by the word shamed and why you chose this for the name of your lead character and book series. Um, So that actually goes back to the dream. Um, So 
I'll just explain my dream, and, and that totally explains um, where shame came from. So, I, again, like I said, I was, it, it was a therapeutic thing for me, and I was just getting things out of my system. Um, and in my dream, I had this, like, shadow version of myself. So it was like I was watching myself, but but it turned out to not be me. It was all of my guilt and all of my shame, and, and that was just the word that stuck with me. And as the dream kind of kept going, it, it turned out that it was really the shame of, of everyone. It was everyone's shame and everyone's guilt. And so when I woke up, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm feeling so much of this shame for, you know, X, Y, Z, but at the end of the day it was shame for just being who I was. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. The The original title of the book was The Shamed, and then as I started writing um, and going through this, I realized it was really more than one book, and so that should really more be the name of the series. Um, right. And then when I was developing this character, I realized, like, this character is embodying all of this shame that I'm kind of, like, channeling through my writing. Uh, so it just seemed like the most appropriate, the most appropriate way to coin it because that's kind of where the inspiration came from. I am entranced by the book's cover. Talk about the concept of design and how it was chosen for the book. Yeah, um, I, my designer, his name's Dane. He works um, at eBook Launch. He's amazing. I this I'm. I'm blown away by the cover, too. I'm entranced by it. He did way better <laughs> than I ever, ever could have imagined, so I definitely want to um, give him a huge shout-out here. Um, but the whole idea is that the main character um, is basically this androgynous um, character. I don't really give a whole lot of characteristics um, physically of this character. We don't know the gender. Um, I never reveal the birth name. I don't reveal ethnicity you know, basic general body things, you can kind of get a, a general idea. Um, but I really, I leave a lot up to the imagination. So like, it's kind of part of the facelessness of all of it. I wanted everyone to be able to walk in Shane's shoes. And to do that, right. I didn't want to give too many, I didn't want to be too restrictive in, in who Shane was, so that you can find a piece of yourself or someone you know inside of this character. Um, so that's part of the facelessness. And then, of course, um, Shane actually suffers a vicious attack and uh, is horribly scarred, so shame wears hoodies to kind of be more anonymous in the crowd and, and be a bit more incognito. Um, so that's kind of where the hood comes from. And then all of this just kind of happens, um, the, the turning event to turn shame from, like, this just normal person into this, like, vengeful, quote-unquote, monster um, happens in a forest. So those were, like, the basic building blocks that I gave this designer. Um, and this is the cover he came back with, and I'm just absolutely in love with it. Yeah, it is definitely tremendously awesome. Liv, you have graciously agreed to read from your novel. Please do so now, and please set up what you'll be reading. Okay, great. I actually thought that it would be um, most appropriate to just kind of read the first chapter. It's pretty short, um, but this content of this book, as, as you can probably tell, it's really heavy. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, and so I didn't want to drop anything too heavy on air today. Um, so I'm just going to kind of do a teaser first chapter thing, um, and we'll just start at the beginning, and I'll, I'll end when the first chapter's over. Great. Okay. Oh, and please excuse, um, I'm a writer, not a narrator, so I apologize if this isn't horribly eloquent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> chapter one. I am ugly. I don't say this in an ironic, emotional, I really want to compliment kind of way. I say this in a matter of fact, I've crunched the numbers kind of way. 
I'm not ugly because of a few extra pounds or a couple of unwanted blemishes. I am ugly because I am rotten on the inside. The rot inside, no matter how well disguised on the outside, spoils the whole fruit. Any logical person would say, this should be fixed. But how do you fix something you can't see? Cut it open, shine a light into the darkness, examine, diagnose, and, and then fix it? I believe I have gotten as far as diagnosis, but when forced to take scalpel in hand and remove the rot, I couldn't do it. Who am I without it? I don't mind being ugly. Is it really so important to remove it? At the very least, I am comfortable. Life is short and comfort is hard to come by. So instead, I choose to cope with the rot, make it my friend, and embody the ugliness. There is a certain beauty in that, I think. Society would tell you it makes me dangerous. I would agree. I am dangerous, and I am powerful. What I am not is blind. I see the way the world works. I know I do not belong. I have come to embrace that fact. And this, they say, is what makes me lethal. Perhaps it does. I am not here to debate what you've already heard with the truth. Truth is all about perspective anyway, isn't it? I'm here to tell you my story as I see it before the hands of time sweep it beneath the rug. As I said, this is not born of an ill-begotten need for redemption, but of my belief that there are always two sides to everything, and that without both, there is no truth. You have heard one side. Now you must hear mine. And so I begin. And that's the end of Chapter 1. Wow, that is, man, I am ugly. What a great, fantastic opening line. Loved it. Um, Thank you. Liv, one thing that glaringly stands out, like you mentioned earlier about your protagonist, Shame, is it is sort of androgynous in where its gender, it's not spelled out or made clear. Now, was it hard to write this way with this type of character or were you comfortable with it from the beginning? Yeah. So I actually didn't start out with that being um, important or even something I really realized I was doing. Um, I probably got a solid 20 to 25 pages in before I was really like, wow, I haven't, I haven't identified this character one way or the other. Um, and when I was going back and, you know, reading and editing and re-editing and re-editing, I just, I was like, wow, I think there's power in this. I think there's something unique in the storytelling this way. Um, so then when I became very conscious of it, that's when it started to become difficult. Um, I wrote the entire yes. book in first person, which was very helpful, right? Because now when the narrator's talking, it, they're talking about themselves. And so no need to, to put she or he on it. Um, where it became very difficult and delicate was in the dialogue. That's where um, I had to be a little more uh, tricky and uh, rework things. And, and luckily I had an amazing editor, um, and she went through. And I, her main task, I said, don't worry about the grammar so much. Let's worry about um, have I done anything to hint either way. And that became the, the editing game we were playing. One five-star Amazon review of this book by Kristen states, the author tackles really sensitive subject matter in this book. I feel that everyone in some form or another at one point in their life has been bullied, attacked, or shamed, quote-unquote. And it has just intensified over the years, and although so many people are speaking out against it now, it's still a growing problem. People will tell you that you're too skinny or too fat or you're ugly because you don't look a certain way. 
you're gay if you dress or act a certain way. And then you have the people that actually are homosexual or the ones that are transgender. It's one thing not to agree with someone's sexuality because of your religion. It's a whole other thing to attack them verbally or physically because of it. But when you attack someone out of hate just because they're different, which is what most attacks on those victims come from, that is just evil and so wrong. Oh, a great and honest insight, insightful review. What do you think of that review, Liv? Um, I was actually blown away by that review. You know, as a writer, you hope, A, that people enjoy your story and that they're entertained. Um, but, you know, clearly I have a lot of passion around some of these issues of, of people being bullied and, and why they get bullied and being inclusive and not exclusive. And so it, it was awesome that she was pulling some of those social messages out um, and that she really kind of got, that's what shame represents. Shame represents the retaliation, the hurt, the pain, how you truly can destroy someone through these, what she coined evil acts of demonizing someone for being different, of attacking them for being different, of placing your own fears um, and scarcity on someone else because they're so different. Um, So, I, I loved Kristen's review. Um, I was super excited about it. She was great. Um, she actually uh, put her review on Goodreads as well. So I commented back to her personally just to let her know that I really appreciated her taking that time. It's a really great, insightful review, in my opinion. Liv, is any part of this book somewhat autobiographical? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I wasn't ever bullied the way that shame was. Um, you know, just, you know, minor things here and there. I think things that, you know, most people experience, someone, you know, being mean to you because you're different or making fun of you for this or that, but never to the extent that, that shame experiences it. I would say the emotional turmoil that shame goes through definitely came from my own internal turmoil just from different externalities. Um, and I would say the to the extent that this is true for everyone, it's autobiographical in the, in the sense that the things that I see that other people are going through, um, all of the horrible things that people do to other people, though it doesn't affect me directly, I do feel a lot of sadness around those things. And so I was kind of able to channel some of my anger and, and hurt about how others are treated through this book. At The Funky Writer, we have a lot of writers who always want to talk about and learn about the publishing process. How did you publish in the mind of revenge? And talk about any challenges you had in getting this story out to the world. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So, of course, um, when I finished my manuscript, I really struggled with, do I go traditional publishing or do I go self-publishing? Because now both are equally viable options for an author to have a prosperous, healthy career. Um, and so I just did, I did as much research as possible. Um, I'm a very typical millennial. I Google everything. <laughs> so um, I, I did as much research as I could to understand the process. And, you know, what rights does an agent have? What rights do a publisher have? And I just kind of came to the decision that, I either needed to go with an independent publisher or I needed to do it on my own. Um, so I actually found um, an independent publisher and submitted my manuscript, um, and he and his editor both enjoyed it. So I, I published through them, um, which that, that at first was very, very exciting, and then I started to learn things about myself as an author. And I'm, um, 
I don't want to say control freak in the sense that um, I'm not adaptable to ideas and feedback. <laughs> More that I'm a control freak in like things need to be moving and things need to look a certain way. And I would say I, I probably um, I have a high I have high standards um, and I'm probably a demanding client. So um, I kind of made sure I was within the bounds of my contract and went off and started doing my own thing. So I really started functioning more as a DIY self-published author. Um, and that's probably the route that I'll continue to take for the rest of the series because it was so important to me that my vision be seen all the way through for this story just so it could maintain integrity from the front end all the way to the back end. And I think how I'm presented, how the book is presented, the the cover, where it's accessible, who it's accessible to, all of those things play a role in, in the integrity of the story. Um, so I ended up diving headfirst into how do I get this done myself and, and all of these things. And um, I got really lucky. I got introduced to an amazing publicist named Sammy um, who runs a, pub, a PR firm called Roger Charlie. Um, and yes. she has been she's great. my app. She's amazing. She's like been my entire lifeline. She's the only reason that anyone knows my book exists. <laughs> so um, I, that would be my, if you're going the self-publishing route, I, I strongly encourage you, if you're going to spend money on anything, spend it on these two things. One, a really good publicist who loves your story as much as you do. And two, a really, really awesome cover. Those are like the two things that I dished out as much money as possible for, and I have absolutely no regrets about it. Words to live by. Um, one of the things that, uh, as I was looking at your book and words about it and what people thought about it, kept surfacing is the graphic parts and, as you said earlier, the heaviness of it and the nature of the story. Did you vacillate with yourself over this hard content? and think of toning it down, or were you game from the start to tell the story in this manner? Say I was game from the start. Anyone who knows me personally knows I'm pretty blunt and I'm pretty direct, and I don't have too much of a problem being in your face, and so I think my storytelling very much reflects those things. I don't I, – there's something to be said for being politically correct um, in the sense that we're taking other people into consideration, and then there's something to be said for just saying what needs to be said that everyone's tiptoeing around. Um, and I felt, I felt like this book had to be as blunt and heavy and disturbing um, as the actual topic itself, um, and as what's actually happening um, in the real world. I mean, it's an entirely fictional story, but people are going to identify with it on one level or another. And I didn't want to shortchange it. Um, I didn't want to filter through anything. And I, I think the people that have grabbed onto the story probably appreciate that. It's not a story for everyone. Not everyone's going to pick this book up and go, oh, that was great. Um, my, my mother, bless her heart, she had a really hard time reading it. She read it because I'm her daughter. Um, but it's not, it, it's not her story. It's not, it's not something that I think that she would have normally picked up. Um, she had to put it down a lot. I think my brother had the same experience. So I don't regret it. Um, I was... I was in it all the way, and, you know, it's it's a great book for the right reader. It's not a great book for all readers. Understood. Let's talk about Liv Haddon, the person. Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Yeah, okay, so um, I was actually born in Vermont, and we um, lived in New York for a little bit and then moved down to Texas um, to 
just north of Houston, and that's pretty much where I grew up from, like, second grade all the way through high school. Um, and my childhood was awesome. Um, I have a younger brother. He's about a year younger than me, so uh, we've been really close. Um, a pretty stereotypical school experience. So I went to the same school from elementary school to high school. I was involved in every activity you can think of. Um, actually, um, the reason that I even thought that writing could be something I could do is because of my fifth grade teacher. And I actually dedicated this book to her because, um, you know, we would do all of these writing activities and these story times and we shared a lot of our stories out loud. And I just remember after one particular story, she, um, pulled me aside and she said, Liv, you're going to write a novel one day and I cannot wait to read it. And so when I was writing this novel, I was like, oh, Miss Maisel, you knew this book was coming. You just knew it. Um, and it's really cool because she, she's reading it and she's liking it and she's enjoying it. And it's just so weird to be, you know, two decades later, she's reading this story that she knew existed before I even knew I was a writer. It's been an extremely supportive community. I have an extremely supportive, amazing, beautiful family. Um, I, I really, I can't complain at all. I had a very beautiful childhood. What were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, obviously I grew up with Harry Potter, so that was probably, like, my first, like, book I've ever been, like, genuinely in love with. Um, you know, grew up reading Maya Angelou, who's a phenomenal human, um, those kinds of things, um, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Great Gatsby, all those classics are really, like, ingrained in me in childhood. And then as I kind of got older, um, I ventured more into, like, you know, Dan Brown novels. I would say probably my writing style is most influenced by, like, Steve Larson and Anne Rice, probably. Um, and I enjoy a really good sarcastic autobiographical book from time to time. I really enjoyed uh, Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. Yes, Please by Amy Poehler, those kinds of things. Um, but I would say as far as influencing my writing, um, yeah, probably Steve Larson has been the biggest one just because I really liked how like raw and gritty his novels were. There's a website called tribal, tribalperformance.com where you are mm -hmm. prevalent with astute articles titled is Irresponsible Candor Destroying Your Company Culture and How to Create a Team Culture of Accountability. What's this about, and how did you get involved in having these articles on this site? Yeah, so tribal performance is actually my day job. Um, authoring is my side hustle right now. So my 9 to 5 is working for um, a consulting company that basically uh, provides tools, coaching, and training to teams and leaderships inside of organizations to help them optimize their results, their performance, their teamwork, their communication. Um, any, any kind of people issue they're having, we, we go in and we, we coach and train them. Um, so I actually run that blog, um, and I curate the content. Um, obviously, I write some content, um, and I and the team leads for the, the rest of our team that writes things like that. So those articles are are basically our way of providing um, help, DIY help for people from our tools um, and getting some awareness out there that you don't have to be miserable at your job. You can actually thrive and enjoy going to work. You don't just have to punch a clock. Um, and the really cool thing about this business is that my mom um, founded it. She owns it. 
she's a huge role model of mine. She's a total girl boss, the epitome of what a girl boss is. She was a girl boss before girl boss was a thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's her huge life passion, and I've had the awesome privilege of being able to be a part of it. Wow, I got to get your mom on this show. <laughs> you, oh, you totally should. Wow. She's, she's a, yeah, she's a writer that? too. Yes, yeah, yes. Oh, yeah, she's a total on, badass. Definitely. Yes, <laughs> yes. Live on Amazon. You also have blogs to help us authors navigate the tribulations of publishing our books. One of them mm-hmm. immediately caught my eye entitled, How to Publish Your Book for Less Than $100. Why did you feel the need to write this particular bo- a blog? Did you have a bad experience previously? Um, it can be really expensive, um, and a lot of people get ripped off. Um, I would say, I wouldn't say it was a bad experience. I would say it was a learning curve. Um, but the printer that I got, well, that my publisher got to print um, my advanced reader copies, which for people who don't know, those are copies that you get printed in advance to get reviews for your book um, to help amp up the publicity. Um, when I got those printed, they were just astronomical. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can publish my book if I'm going to have to pay this much money for such a small right. amount of, of books. And so, um, you know, some learning, some more research, um, being exposed to more resources, um, I discovered, hey, actually, you don't have to pay an arm and a leg. I can do all of this for $100. I think a lot of people are intimidated by the self-publishing process. They're certainly intimidated by traditional publishing. And I think, you know, not everybody has buku dollars to get their story out there, but that doesn't mean their story is not worth sharing. So I thought that was really important that people understand the costs don't have to be prohibitive. Um, if you know where to go, if you know what to do, if you're, if you're willing to explore and experiment, you can make this happen for yourself. Um, and I actually was inspired by um, another author who is working through his first manuscript, and he reached out to me on Instagram actually. Um, he found me through a mutual friend and was asking me all of these questions, and that's kind of when I was like, oh, my God, I should write a blog, just so I'm sure he's not the only person who has these questions. I should start blogging about this to um, help other people like him and me who who don't need to go through the pain of what I went through and spending $1,000 on 100 books because that's just way too expensive. It's a good thing. Let's talk social media. I see mm-hmm. that you are on many of the sites such as Twitter and Facebook and Goodreads and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Of all the social media platforms, which one do you feel is the most beneficial for your brand? And which, in your estimation, is the best for authors? Or does each platform offer its own special compensations? Yeah, I'm going to go with that last one. I am a firm believer that whatever platform you're on, um, if you do the work, if you're focused on it, you can make that platform work for you. It really is personal preference. Um, So I I enjoy my Facebook page for the fact that it's smaller and intimate and I can share updates about myself. I can share longer posts. I can share reviews. And that's all great. Um, It's not necessarily a place for me to find new readers. It's not a place for me to network. Um, I use Twitter more for that. Um, And like for an example, I have, you know, I've, you know, tweeted about this or that, or someone tags me in there, tweet about my book. Um, And I've had uh, book blog reviewers find my book and say, oh my God, how do I get this book to review? Um, So I've 
I haven't had to troll for reviews. People find me in addition to my publicist finding people. Um, I actually found um, a book blogger who needed book bloggers. So now I'm blogging uh, on her thing, which gets closure as well. Um, I, I found Twitter to be probably the most potent tool for me to get the word out and, and to network. Um, that said, I spend a lot of time making sure that my Twitter is following the latest trends. I keep up with what's happening in the Twitter sphere and like how is the platform changing? How can I best get my word out to the right audience? Um, I, I think Goodreads is a must. If you're an author and you don't have a Goodreads page, I kind of think that's like a big faux pas. Um, right. But again, I haven't, that's been good for me to get reviews, not necessarily for me to do all of this networking and get my book out across a vast amount of people. Um, that said, obviously you get a lot of exposure on Goodreads. So I think that there are, are huge pluses to every platform, and I actually have a plan to write a blog about each and how I use it and how other professionals use it. Um, but I would say don't spread yourself too thin. Maybe like pick one platform that you're going to dedicate most of your time to. Make sure you have a presence out there. But, like, I don't spend time on my Amazon author page. Um, everything's automated that shows up there. I don't spend a whole lot of time, you know, on any other platforms because you can't be good at everything, right? You can be good at, like, one or two things. Right. And you don't want to spread yourself too thin. Right, right. What's next for Liv Haddon? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? Yeah, well, obviously book two, um, that is in the works now. Um, I'm, I'll be introducing um, a new narrator, so I'm kind of working on how I'm going to make that, that work pretty seamlessly. Um, that's probably my primary focus. And then, of course, you know, spreading the love and getting my name out there, getting my book out there, getting people to um, read my story. It's probably what's, what's coming up for me the rest of this year. Contact information, website, or ways that you'd like people to connect with you? Yeah, sure. So my website's really simple. It's livehadden.com, um, and that's where I, that's where I blog um, all of my author how-to advice. I have a mailing list. I blog once a week, so your mailbox won't get um, flooded. Um, and I do keep um, updates on my, my book just to be helpful. And then, of course, Twitter. It's at live underscore Solis, which is C-E-L-E-S-E. And those are probably the best places to keep in touch. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name, on Smashwords.com. My guest has been author, blogger, and so much more, Liv Haddon. And her extraordinary novel is called In the Mind of of revenge. Make sure you order your copy today. Thank you so much, Liv, for being a guest on the Funky Writer Show. Thank you. It was my honor. It was fantastic. Have a great evening. Bye now. Yes, you too. Bye.